Now, I know that some of you don't really care about the Soccer World Cup. Just a competition. Alison cares, and Bran. It's just a competition where some overpaid and self-obsessed young men try and kick a ball into a net. Just to make a name for themselves. So some people think that, and yet it is the biggest single event sporting competition in the world. Watched on TV by over 3 billion people. More than any other event in, 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 in the year. So if you're part of the other half of the world that doesn't really like it, forgive me, just as I talk about it, just for a minute or two. I think one of the, the lessons of this year's World Cup is a really simple one. It is that soccer, and this will just blow your mind, soccer is a team sport. It's a team sport. Told you. Often the headlines are grabbed by the individuals. But it's a team that wins games and that wins tournaments. Last weekend, Argentina and Portugal, they were knocked out of the tournament on the same day, at the last 16 stage. And most people would recognise that these teams have two of the best soccer players in the whole world. Most of you will know who they are. Messi and Ronaldo. But even with their amazing skill, they couldn't win those matches single-handed. To win a soccer match, you need a whole team to perform from front to back. And I think that's that's a simple lesson for soccer, but it's also a really important lesson for the Christian life. In our Western world, in our Western church even, we often fall into the trap of focusing on individuals rather than on communities. So we credit the the growth of flourishing churches in the world to a celebrity pastor and forget about everybody else who's really working hard in that church, making it work. Or we get excited about the wonderful things that somebody does for God and we forget about all those who have who have cared for them and who support them and who have discipled them all through the years. Or we tend to think about the developments in our own church on the basis of, well, what's in it for me? How will I benefit from it? How will it impact me? And then I think it also means that when we're dealing with bad habits in our lives or we're trying to grow in our Christian lives, We can often act as if it's just something that I I need to sort out myself. I need to go away and get this, this issue sorted on my own. So in our whole culture, and it seeps into our church, there's such an individualism, an individualistic way of thinking that's all about the individual. And yet when we go to the Bible, we don't see a Christian life like that. Yes, a personal faith and relationship with Christ is essential. But this is supposed to be lived out in community. Where people know that they need each other. And are willing to depend on each other. We're called to follow Christ in partnership with each other. 
And we can see this truth being borne out just in the way that Peter concludes his letter. We've finally got to the end of this amazing little letter from Peter. And we're going to read just the the last three verses. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12 to 14. And see the sense of community, the sense of partnership, the sense of fellowship that Peter expresses here in these letter, in these verses. So 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This little section, as I've said, is just three verses long. Yet, and I think we can see five different relationships that Peter had. And they point to some of the essential relationships that we need in our Christian lives. First of all, there's the obvious relationship between Peter and his readers. So he says, I have written to you briefly. It was way back in January when we started looking at this letter. I didn't know it was going to take so long. I apologise. And we were introduced to this relationship between Peter and his readers. He says in chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Peter knew that he was an apostle. He was personally chosen and appointed as a representative of Christ. And as a witness to his resurrection. And as such, he had a role in ministering to the church community scattered throughout the world. And this letter that he wrote was an expression of that relationship as he taught them God's word. And this is why we've been reading it over the last six months. We believe that this is not just a letter from Peter to these scattered believers, but we believe that this is God's word that's written to us. So this letter, like the rest of the Bible, is living and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Even though our circumstances are very different from the the initial readers of this letter in first century eh, Palestine and the wider area. Peter's words here and the rest of the Bible for that matter they're just as relevant for us today. And so though Peter humbly claimed that he'd just written a, a brief letter I hope that you've been just as amazed and challenged and stretched and encouraged as I have been as we've tried to get to grips with all of the truth that Peter has packed in to these five chapters. And this was Peter's 
purpose in writing this letter. See in verse 12, he says, I have written encouraging you. Peter knew that that these Christians were living lives that were really tough. As he said at the start of this letter, he knew that they were having to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He knew they were being criticised and accused and attacked because of their faith in Jesus. And he knew that things were going to continue to get difficult or even more difficult. And so Peter wrote to encourage them, to get alongside them, to put his arm around them and to comfort them and to support them and to give them hope and to give them courage to keep going for Christ. And this is what the Bible does for us today. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 15. He says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. The encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So do we need encouragement and comfort in our lives today? Do we find it really tough to keep on living for God each day as He's called us to? Well, God wants to encourage us. Through speaking into our lives. Through his word. But did you notice in verse 12, Peter also said that he wrote, testifying that this is the true grace of God. This little word, testifying, carries with it the idea of just bearing witness. And that's what Peter and the apostles were called to be. They were called to be witnesses. So Jesus in Acts chapter 1 said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and in all Samaria and to the ends of the, of the, of the earth. The coming Holy Spirit would empower them to witness to this world, to declare the truth of what they had seen and what they would heard and what they would understood about Jesus. And that was our job. To declare that to the world. And that's what Peter has done throughout this letter. He has declared and testified to the truth of the outrageous grace of God. Revealed then and offered to us through the sacrifice of Christ. 1 Peter 3 and 18 says this, For Christ died for sins, once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. So if you're here today. And you haven't yet put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you haven't accepted this gift of God's grace. This free and undeserved gift from God. That Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins in full. So you can be completely and totally forgiven and adopted as a child of God into his family. Then this is God's offer to you today. If you'd only accept it through faith. But this isn't just important for those who haven't accepted this gift yet. 
If we are among those who have accepted this gift, if we know that we have been forgiven, then this grace of God is where we need to stay. Did you notice what Peter said in verse 12? That we need to stand fast in it. We need to stand in the grace of God. We don't start the Christian life through God's amazing grace and then go on to live for Him through the rules and regulations of self-righteousness or through the guilt and the burden of self-condemnation. Instead, it's the same grace of God that saves us that also sanctifies us and that motivates us and empowers us to live for God each day. And that gives us the security of knowing that we're heading for glory. It's the grace of God where we begin and continue and it'll be the grace of God forever and ever. This is what Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2. He said this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age where we wait for the the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. The grace of God teaches us to say no. Not the law, not being told you're terrible, not being forced into conforming to rules and regulations in our lives, but the grace of God teaches us and empowers us to live this new life. So this is the reality. Whether we're just starting out in our life for Christ, or whether we've been on the road for years, This is the first relationship we need. We need to let the prophets and apostles who wrote the scriptures speak to us and encourage us and witness to us about the grace of God. And to strengthen our commitment to stand fast in it. To stand in the grace of God. So that's the first relationship. But Peter didn't try and do the work of sharing the word of God on his own. Like the rest of the apostles, he knew that this was going to be a team effort. And so this was even true of his letter. Verse 12 again. With the help of Silas, he said, I have written to you. With the help of Silas. Now it's not absolutely clear what Silas' role was here. Okay? Some people think that he was like a secretary, just writing down what Peter was dictating to him. Other people imagine that, Pete, that Silas was more of a messenger, that he received this letter from Peter and he went and took it round the various churches where it was addressed to and read it out to them and made sure that they all heard it and understood the truth of what Peter had written. And that may make sense of what Peter says here when he commends Silas. When he says, Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother. 
And certainly what we know about Silas in the Bible bears this out, that he was faithful. This was more than likely the Silas who was a leader and a prophet in the early church in Jerusalem. And he was in a trusted envoy of the apostles in Jerusalem. He was sent with Paul and Barnabas to go back to the church in Antioch to tell them that the grace of God was sufficient. That they didn't need to trust in Jesus as well as follow the law in order to be right with God. That the grace of God through Christ was enough to make them right with, right with, right with him. And Silas, he carried out this role faithfully. Acts 15 said that, says that he said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. Silas was a faithful brother. A faithful servant of God. Then later, Silas became a partner with Paul on his second and maybe even his third missionary journey. Travelling around that area, faithfully preaching the gospel of Jesus. And also suffering for it with courage and with faith. Do you remember in Philippi? It was Paul and Silas who were flogged and thrown into prison. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying And singing hymns to God. And it was then that God sent an earthquake to set them free from their chains. But even more importantly, to set the jailer free from his sins. And now Silas was partnering with Peter. Serving alongside Peter. Working together to encourage God's people to build up God's kingdom. So here's the lesson that I learned from that. If amazing people like Peter and Paul needed to partner with other Christians to serve God faithfully, then how much more do we? If Peter and Paul couldn't go off and do it on their own, then how much more foolish would it be to think that we could serve God on our own? After all, isn't this what Jesus modelled in his ministry? I know there were times when Jesus had to do things on his own. And he often did go off on his own to spend time with God in prayer. But most of the time he brought his disciples along with him. And he invited them into partnership with him in God's work. And when he sent them out into his mission, he sent them out two by two. Not one by one. Of course, that doesn't mean that if we find ourselves on our own, through no fault of our own, then somehow God can't work. It's not a saying that God can't work through one person. God can, of course. But it is that God has chosen to work through his people in a special way when they join together in unity and they serve together. Jesus said, for where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them a special blessing when we meet together and join in partnership with the other believers. So in your work for God, who are you partnering with? Which relationship are you developing so you can come alongside and work together in God's, in God's work? But we don't need to just partner with others. Thirdly, we also need to, we need other people for fellowship. Verse 13. She who is in Babylon 
chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. Seems that Peter here was talking about the church that he was from. Who, like the readers, were God's elect. They were chosen together with you. But it's really unlikely that Peter was actually talking about a church in Babylon. In the literal Babylon. Because that ancient city of Babylon at this stage was in ruins. And it was largely abandoned. But Babylon is used as a symbolic city in the book of Revelation. As, a, as the centre of evil and rebellion against God. So I think Peter is using the word Babylon as a symbolic name for the city where he is. The, the, the ancient city of Babylon, that was a, a great city of the world empire to which the people of Judah were put into exile. 600 years before Jesus. Now Peter was writing in the heart, from the heart of a new world empire of Rome. And he was writing to the new diaspora, the new people of God who were scattered throughout the world in this hostile and dangerous empire. So I think Peter wrote like this to encourage them that he understood How difficult their Christian lives were. He understood their struggles. Because he was writing from the very heart of this empire that were standing against God. And they were going to make it really difficult for the Christians. But I think this name, using it to to refer to Rome, would also encourage his readers that God's judgment was coming on this worldly human empire, just as God's judgment had come against Babylon. Human empires, when they set themselves up, they think they're going to last forever. Babylon was one of those. But God comes and and judges it. And this Roman empire, even though it lasted hundreds of years, God was going to come in and he was going to judge it. And it wasn't going to stand but God's kingdom was going to stand forever. But I think the purpose, the main purpose of writing about his church was to send their greetings. She who is in Babylon sends you her greetings. Peter clearly valued Christian fellowship. And he wanted to build a sense of togetherness even between churches. To know that they were in this together. And then he also took this opportunity to encourage this sense of community within the churches. See what he says? Greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, don't get any carried away with this idea, okay? This kiss was just a common sign of fellowship and Christian love. Often mentioned in the letters in the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters. So this is the third relationship that we need. We need to work to express and develop our fellowship with other Christians. Both those in our own church, greeting each other with a kiss of love, or a handshake or a hug. Maybe that's more acceptable today. But also those that, that connection with other churches throughout this world. Like how we try and connect with our churches in Gorey or Wexford, or even connect with churches further afield. As Peter wrote earlier, we need to love as brothers. 
That's essential for us, isn't it? That we develop that love between us as followers of Jesus. But Peter didn't only send greetings from his church. He also sent his greetings from a young guy called Mark. Now it was Mark's mum, her house, that Peter had trouble getting into when he was released from prison with that angel. Remember he was knocking at the door and they wouldn't let let him in. Later Mark joined Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But for some reason... It says, John left them to return to Jerusalem. John Mark was his name. So he abandoned them in Pamphylia. And then on the next mission trip, Barnabas, he wanted to give Mark another chance, another opportunity to come along with them. But Paul thought that was unwise because he had abandoned them before. And they disagreed so strongly that Barnabas took Mark in one direction and Paul took Silas in the other. But God continued to work in Mark's life. And Mark actually reconnected with Paul in his ministry in Rome. And Paul later wrote about Mark that he is helpful to me in my ministry. And now clearly Mark has a connection with Peter. Because Peter calls him my son. Just like Paul had his Timothy that he called my son in the faith, so Peter had Mark, who were a father and son relationship. Peter the older and more experienced follower of Jesus, mentoring Mark, encouraging Mark, guiding him, supporting him, helping him to develop his gifts, helping him to fulfill God's call on his life. And really interesting, most people understand that when you and Mark wrote his gospel, this is the same Mark who wrote the second gospel, it was through Peter's input that Mark was able to write this gospel. So Mark is probably written from Peter's perspective. So Peter had so many demands on his time. He, was, he had a, such a, an important role in his life, and yet he was willing to pour out his life and his experience into this young man, Mark, and help him to grow in his faith. And I believe that this kind of relationship is crucial for all of us too. Following Jesus means following his command to go and make disciples of all nations. So as well as being a disciple of Jesus, we're also called, each and every one of us, are also called in discipling others in their walk with Christ. So as we need to partner with people, as we need to fellowship with them and get their support and encouragement, so we also need to think about, well, who am I reaching down into? Who am I encouraging? Who am I mentoring? Who am I discipling in their walk with Christ? Do you have somebody that you could say, they're like my son? Or they're like my daughter in the faith. That you're really putting that time and effort and that care into. But that brings us to the final relationship that Peter mentioned here. Finished verse 14. Finished his letter with peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Isn't this amazing? Remember, these Christians were going through incredibly difficult times. All kinds of trials. Being criticised, accused, attacked, 
beaten, imprisoned. Their lives were even under threat. And worse still, the devil was prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for somebody to devour. And yet, in this raging storm of oppression and persecution and uh, all the difficulties that were going through, Peter could pronounce his blessing of peace on their lives. How is that possible? How could he pronounce peace to people who were suffering so much? Well, it was because they were in Christ. They put their faith in Jesus. And so they'd been redeemed by his precious blood. And they'd be declared righteous through his death. And they'd been sealed and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And they'd been united with him in his body. And they were held safely in his hands. And so no matter what happened around them, they could be at peace. Because they could rest in the security of their relationship with God. God was in charge. They were God's kids. And God would not give up on them. And that's what Christ offers to all of us who are in him today. Jesus said these amazing words, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. So we can't live this life on our own. We need the help of others. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community. We need to learn from God's word. Let the the prophets and apostles of old speak into our lives. We need to fellowship with God's people. Partner in God's mission. Care for God's children. But most of all, we need to trust in God's Son. So we can experience that peace that goes beyond all understanding as we live as saints and strangers in this world. Let's just pray. Father God, we do thank you. We do thank you that you haven't left us on our own, Lord. You haven't just called us to follow Jesus and just let us off off with it, Lord, and just sent us out to do it and, and that's it. Lord, thank you that you've You want to continue to to pour into our lives to give us encouragement and support and the truth that we need and the strength that we need and the empowerment that we need through so many different sources, Lord. Father, thank you for your word that speaks into our lives again and again. Lord, help us. Help us to grow in our love for your word and help us to listen to it. And Father, thank you for the partnership with other believers that we can serve together, we can fellowship with each other. Thank you, Father, that we can also, we can also come alongside and, and, and teach others, Lord, because we learn so much through teaching others. Thank you for the privilege of being able to do this, Lord. Thank you that you have called each and every one of us to do this, not just one or two of us, but all of us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to grow in this fellowship. Help us to really be the church community you want us to be. With that network, that interconnectedness that you're you're long for, Lord. Uh, Lord, help us not to try and live this Christian life on our own. But most of all, thank you for sending your Son. 
But it's through Christ we have been brought into your, fa- your family. It's through Christ we have been declared righteous for all eternity. It's through Christ that we've been set apart as your holy people. It's through Christ we're held securely. And it's through Christ that we can rest. Rest in his peace, the peace that he gives, that goes beyond all understanding, that just doesn't make sense to the world out there. But we can rest in this peace because of what you have done through your Son, the Lord Jesus. So Father, help us to live this life that you've called us to. Help us to live as your chosen people, as saints, as your elect, as we live as strangers in this world. In Jesus' name we pray.